Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Today on the show, I welcome Serena Poon. Serena is a certified nutritionist, celebrity chef, and Reiki master. And Serena's passion for education, integrative health, holistic nutrition, and longevity led her to create Culinary Alchemy, a method of functional and spiritual nutrition that integrates how food affects our bodies on a physiological and on an energetic level. The focus of our conversation was longevity. And we pulled apart the different connotations of longevity, including extending lifespan, expanding health span, and even achieving immortality, or what some folks are calling escape velocity. And we talked about how deliberate self-imposed stressors, such as caloric restriction, intermittent fasting, exercise, heat and cold therapy, and various breathing techniques can activate ancient adaptive pathways and promote longevity. We discussed xenohormesis, the health-conferring stress response pathways in plants, and how these benefits are transferred to humans when we consume these plants. And we discussed the relationship between community and social connections and longevity, and we explored the more philosophical question of whether humans are pre-programmed to die. Now, longevity is such a fascinating and hot topic, and Serena brings fresh insight to the conversation. So I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. But before we dive in, I want to let you know about some of our programs on the Commune course platform. If you're interested in courses on longevity, meditation, functional medicine, and Ayurveda, well, you can sign up for 14 days of free all-access to Commune's entire course library, including more than 130 courses on spiritual and physical health. Just go to onecommune.com trial. And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. It really makes a huge difference. Okay, without further delay... I present to you my conversation with Serena Poon. Okay, Serena Poon, such a treat to be with you here in Laurel Canyon on the Coming Podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's this is it's so magical here. So I feel like I'm already just, I'm nourished just being here. Mm. Uh, such a beautiful energy. So thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm excited to dive into all things longevity and uh, we'll jump in the river and see where, where it takes us. Um, but this is the focus um, of a lot of conversations these days. Yeah. And, um, and, Longevity, it's, it's a very nuanced concept because some people are talking about essentially extending our lifespan, mm-hmm. chronological years, orbits around the sun, et cetera. Other people are talking about expanding our health span. Yeah. So the number of years that we're thriving both physically and cognitively. And then there's even other people talking about longevity escape velocity, <laughs> where essentially our life expectancy is outpacing our aging and we can live, quote unquote, forever, mm-hmm. um, unless, of course, we get hit by a bus or something. But this idea of amortality, not immortality. 
Um, so I'm wondering kind of where do you land within the world of longevity? How do you think about it? Uh, you know, I, and thank you for asking. I, I, it's interesting because I think that, uh, as you say, there's so many different definitions and part of, uh, my mission and part of the education that I put out there is really about changing those definitions, changing the paradigm uh, about aging and lifespan and longevity. Like, what is that really? And how I viewed it for a very long time now, not just in the now, is it's really about your quality of life for as long as you choose to live. Hmm. You know, and that may look like. 80 years for some people, it may look like 100, it may look like 150. But it's really about giving you that choice, that option to live as long as you like, you know, and live it well. So it's really, it's really staying healthy, staying vibrant, staying vital, and being able to do the things that you're able to do at sort of the height um, of your life, whether that's 40, 50, 30, 60. I mean, for every person it's different and being able to live that way until you're ready to go. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it sounds a little bit, you know, obscure, but it's, it's not cause that's really what we all want, you know? Yeah. And fewer and fewer of us are achieving that. And at least in the Western world, um, I mean, as you know, well, there's been this incredible expansion of life expectancy from like 1900 to 2000, for example. So from about 48 years old um, in 1900. And of course that was skewed slightly by the prevalence of infectious diseases that killed people when they were younger and brought that average down. But still there was significant life expectancy increases from 1900 to 2000. So from 48 to the high seventies. <laughs> now we've seen that number actually come down a little bit in yeah. the last few years, even pre-COVID. <laughs> largely due to, you know, the, the prevalence of chronic disease. Um, but even with that increase in life expectancy, what we're also seeing is this increase in, I would say, this, this period of life where you're suffering with multiple comorbidities, right? And that, that period can be 16, 17, 18 years old for, or, or long, I should say, for a lot of people who are going, you know, in the golden years of their life, really enduring a tremendous amount of suffering. So one of my questions around kind of the longevity movement is it definitely is very exciting for a lot of people, but how do we democratize that? How do we make it as accessible as possible to those kind of majority of people that are really and limping through the last 16, 17 years of their life? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question and, uh, and so important. And, you know, I like to address, you know, the population from when we are young all the way to those, to those years, you know, those last 16 to 20 years for some people. So they may be in their 60 to their 80s um, and beyond. What's amazing is that we've there's so much science now to back um lifestyle choices that are absolutely accessible to everyone and anyone on the planet uh 
you know, so much of what we can do to activate our longevity pathways, those genes are things that it's not just in the U.S. You know, we can do it anywhere. It can be caloric restriction. Uh, There's so much talk about intermittent fasting. Um, You know, that's actually going to save you money to to do those, to exercise those lifestyle choices. Uh, And when it comes to things that we talk about a lot, you know, whether it's heat therapy or cold therapy, I mean, if you're near a body of water, it's free to jump in, you know? Um, if you are able to have a hot or cold shower, it's really simple to turn the dial one way or the other and stand there for a few minutes to activate, you know, that to activate those, those pathways in our body. And that doesn't, doesn't really cost a lot. So I really think that the best way to really democratize, as you say, is education. (laughs) You know, it's letting people know that it's, not as hard as you think it is, and it's totally accessible to you. You know, there's also how we breathe. At that, and I'm so happy to to see this becoming more mainstream, is the power of our breath. You know, we we breathe and we don't really think about it because we do it to exist. And we don't realize that controlling how we breathe whether we breathe through our nose or through our mouth, how we hold the breath, uh, all of that is actually activating things in our body in a way that can really benefit us Benefit us if we know how. So, you know, hypoxia, for example, that's another, that's another lifestyle activity that we can do to activate uh, those pathways. And that's as simple as holding your breath. So really, you know, democratization of the ability to live longer and live well, um, I think boils down to education uh, and bringing that education to everyone, everyone starting at a young age, because we actually, you know, our children start to age as soon as they, as soon as they meet us. Um, That's how our bodies function. So being able to teach that and teach these simple choices and eating well, of course, we can dive into that as well. You know, all of that is it's it's accessible. So as long as someone has the knowledge to make those choices. Yeah, that is such a great answer, Serena. Thank you for that. Because I think, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in some of the more uh, esoteric um, practices, the hyperbaric chambers and the ozone therapy and um, et cetera. And, and those are exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I was reading an article this morning. I, I had to pull out a little clip because I was like, so it was so amazing. Uh, David, when he, your partner is quoted in it, but it's really just about longevity, escape velocity, yeah. this idea of potentially living forever. And just, it, it, it actually talks about more about the technology side of it. Uh-huh. So it says an example of biotechnology development that could be very significant in extending life will be the availability of 3D printed replacement organ parts. Uh, it sounds like science fiction, but we may see some examples hitting the market this year. Oh, yes. There's a company based here in California that's the first to successfully engineer commercially available 3D bioprinted human livers and kidneys. And lungs. <laughs> in fact, some scientists are saying that by 2028, death by organ failure may become a problem of the past. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's Martine, crazy. She's amazing. Yeah. She's the one that helped develop this technology with some other scientists and 
she partnered with a uh, uh, Dean Kamen, mm-hmm. uh, and the and I don't remember just you know that's a little part of my long COVID. I can't remember the cities that they're already doing it, but they built these pseudo drones. They're drones that can actually they're more like a plane, and they can transport these organs um, to the patients across states. Um, in a short period of time, maybe not say city, you know, states. Uh, and it's, it's, it's incredible. I actually saw one last, it was just about a year ago, um, at the life itself conference and they brought out the printer and they, they brought out the, the, um, the organ and we watched it. We watched it pump, you know, it, really, it was <laughs> That's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, going back to your previous point, I think 2011 was the first year globally that more people died cumulatively from chronic disease than from any sort of um, like infectious disease or, or contagious contagion. And, um, and essentially, we're choosing the way we die now. Oh. I mean, not with a tremendous amount of insight or thoughtfulness. But as you say, so many of these chronic conditions, so heart disease being number one, stroke being number three, which more or less the same condition of heart, as heart disease and cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, et cetera, but then all the way down, kidney failure, fatty diabetes. liver disease, diabetes. Um, all of these, in most cases, are preventable and in many cases reversible by lifestyle modifications. Yes. And what you just enumerated were like four or five really powerful ones that are basically free. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. It's about education, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about, or I didn't list meditation and those mindful exercises. I'm sure, you know, we can, we might yeah. later. But that's another really powerful exercise that um, also adds to life extension, you know, lifespan, health span, longevity, because it's a whole system uh, mm-hmm. and our mind drives our decisions. And so being able to nourish the mind is just as important. And there's a lot of people that exercise that practice. Um, and of course there's different ways you can exercise that practice um, to of course regulate your your sympathetic and parasympathetic system. And that you know affects our adrenals and our hormones. And at the same time, there's also ways we can give ourselves the same type of adversity mimetic, the same type of uh, low levels of stress to our to our mind in a way that's different than, you know, being so stressed out and having this chronic, you know, stress about work or this, you know, the, the term stress has adopted a very specific definition. And yet if we stress our minds a little bit, learning a new... Um, uh, activity, you know, that sort of like brain challenge, writing with the opposite hand, for example, like those type of little mental cognitive stresses actually enhance your, your cognition, you know, and your brain health. So those are actually little stresses, even public speaking, you know, that's, that sounds like some people want to die, you know, that, that, that's like the scariest thing for some people. And yet that exercise of doing that is actually activating pathways in our body that help extend the health of our brain. 
yeah, I have a very uh, mixed and tumultuous relationship with public speaking. Uh, I've done it all my life. Mm -hmm. And I also get incredibly nervous right up into the last second. And I will look for any excuse <laughs> to get off the to stage <laughs> and cancel or whatever. And yeah. then the moment that you get the lights go on and you're up there, you just, that's it. It all goes away and you're just in the moment. Um, so I, I want to unpack some of the more specific protocols. You mentioned diversity memetics. But before we get there, um, I want to just ask you one more quasi-spiritual or ontological question about longevity. And um, this comes actually from an interesting book I read by Kara Fitzgerald. She's a doctor who does um, a lot of work around epinutrition. Um, and she made the case, or presented the, the case anyways in her book, around whether or not we were pre-programmed to die. Mm. Like on some level, we're meant to die. We're meant to, you know, obviously pass along our genetics and procreate some of us. But really that, you know, our telomeres get shorter and our genes methylate and our oncogenes mutate. And just over time, we have a we have an expiration date. Mm. And that's just more or less the way it should be. Mm. Wonder if you have any <laughs> insight yeah. into that. No, that's that's a really that's an interesting point. Uh and at the same time I completely, completely see uh, that point, all the evidence behind it. Uh, it's interesting because I use the word transition, mm. you know, uh, probably more frequently than I use the word die. And do I believe that uh, at some point all things transition? I do. I do because uh, personally I believe that we are souls and we, we go through many journeys, you know, and many lives. And at some point we transition into another one. Uh, and at the same time, we are also built biologically, psychologically, and I also believe energetically, uh, with the tools to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, we are built to survive and, and to thrive. I mean, that is literally within us and it's just whether or not those, those tools in our, in our biological system uh, are activated. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I see what she said. I can't say that I disagree. I also can't say that I fully agree because I think that our perspective, our perspectives come from our past. You know, we don't typically base our perspectives on the future because our references are to evidence and tangible, tangible things that come from what's in the past. So what's, what is it in the present and what is it in the future? Does that support what she says or is that, does that support a different reality? You know, but inherently as, as human beings, we're built to, to survive. Yeah, well, I think also if you redefine the notion of death as transition, um, it really does color the whole experience in a different way, right? So like we have, we have what I call sort of spotlight consciousness as a product of our sensory instruments. You know, we're here, I'm looking at you and hearing, um, et cetera. And that consciousness may be coterminous with death, mm -hmm. you know, 
like my sensory instruments cease to function when I die, when my mitochondria says, that's enough. <laughs> One Sean. last flume of CO2 up its chimney. Um, and, um, but then, you know, whether or not one thinks one has a soul or not, I think we all generally agree we're made up of like 99% oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, phosphorus, and maybe calcium, maybe one other. Anyways, it's like six elements. If we didn't mummify ourselves or inject ourselves full of formaldehyde and put us, put ourselves in boxes and instead just wrapped ourselves in a palm frond and put a, went out to a pasture, all of that, all of what makes up me and you would just move on. It would just transition into the ground and feed microbes and earthworms and give birth back to new life. So energy just being transferred. And that's the way I've started to think about it because then you actually really just move on. You, you know? just become a different form. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like this is a whole conversation <laughs> whole around thing, consciousness yeah. and right. like uh, what we are actually all made of. Uh, it, and I would love to have I would love to have yeah, that conversation sure. with you, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. it's now or later. Uh, and then there's also, you know, kind of coming back to since it's, uh, you know, Dr. Fitzgerald, you know, just the biology. And again, you know, this is all based on what we have known as opposed to what we will know. And and interestingly enough, like right now, today, we are in a time of knowing that the cells within our body can actually be reprogrammed. Mm -hmm. They can be reset. You know, just just uh, just a few days ago, there was an announcement that uh, uh, a lab has successfully cured aging, uh, aging of the eye. So they reverse blindness uh, in the eye of non-human primates. And we're just a hair shy of uh, non-human primates so you know it's the possible is is here you know the impossible is now possible so if we have the ability to tell those cells hey you're 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 getting a little confused about what you're supposed to do you need to actually take in this oxygen uh you actually need to be working on this organ because over time the cells get confused and they start doing things that maybe they weren't program to do initially and you just sort of reprogram them or you hit that reset button and then the cells go back to doing what they were what they started off what they were born to do then that really redefines sort of everything you know are you specifically talking about epigenetics here and essentially behaviors that can influence gene expression uh, specifically, I believe in epigenetics, so 100% stand by epigenetics. And uh, specifically, this is a, a lab, one of my partner's companies, uh, Life Biosciences, and they, they basically were able to uh, damage uh, the nerve uh, in an eye of a non-human primate. They had already done it with uh, mice. Uh, and... And then they they reprogrammed it by. I'm sure you probably read about it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. so it's, it's a combination of gene therapy, but also also some medicine, and and those cells regenerated. Uh, so so it's possible, you know. So it's whether or not you believe that the lifespan of your body and the cells in it has 
has a predetermined expiry date or if you believe that it's just about information that either gets lost or mm-hmm. confused in the process of that lifespan of a cell and all the cells that make up your body. Yeah. Well, that there is an element to our cells that is regenerative, mm-hmm. like Dr. William Lee, who you may know, is a, he's, also, he's in Boston as well. Um, and um, he wrote a book recently about talking about how some fat cells are seemingly pluripotent and then, of course, we have the Yamanaka factors, which haven't been totally mastered yet, but these kind of proteins, I mean, this is above my pay grade, but the basic program transcriptions that can be um, essentially added to genes, um, you know, such that they express themselves as pluripotent. Yeah. I think they're called like a induced pluripotent stem cells or yeah. something like that. Um, and, you know, of course, over time, in our body, our cells, which when we're born, differentiate themselves very well. So kidney cell then becomes, gives chlorophytes into other kidney cells, et cetera, yeah. uh, liver cells, so hepatocytes, et cetera. That functionality starts to get a little bit gummed up mm-hmm. as we get older or, you know, through environmental inputs, toxins, poor behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my vices now. Um, Just share life, them with you. you know? <laughs> Just life. Yeah. And there does seem to be numerous glimmers of hope that we can essentially what you said reprogram ourselves such that they act like good children yeah. <laughs> like well-behaved daughters yeah i mean it really <laughs> is good daughter cells it, it really is <laughs> <laughs> that's another conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no they just it's just uh it's just it's just resetting them you know so so uh it's it's just as really as simple. And then when you're, you're talking about the Yamanaka factors, what they did with the monkeys um, was using OSK, three of the Yamanaka factors. So, you know, it's really just about, let's say your computer is going wonky and freezing and not working well, or your phone is doing the same and, you know, it's not, the buttons aren't working. What do you do? You reset it. You reset it. It goes back to its default settings and it works again. So that's essentially what we, um, at least in animal models, have been able to successfully do. There's papers, you know, scientists around the globe are working on that. And, you know, we're just a hair share away of being able to do it in humans. I mean, that starts up in less than two years for some of these clinicals, so. Pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It really is. So I would say that glimpse is actually a pretty bright light. Um, okay. So these are some of the things on the frontier of science, right? Um, let's walk backwards just for a moment into the adversity mimetics. You brought up that term. So I'd love for you to define what that term means. And and really the the adversity mimic, mimetics that I call old and true. Mm-hmm. So the ones that we keep discovering, quote unquote, that happen to be 4,000 years old yeah. or something. So what are adversity mimetics and, um, and why are they helpful? So, so basically, you know, we talked about longevity pathways, right? And adversity mimetics are ways that we almost sort of trick our bodies to thinking that 
we are in a survival situation. There is there is an enemy, you know. Uh, it's an adversity type of stress as opposed to chronic stress, which I really want to continue to really differentiate. And that activates these pathways, and these genes in our body activates, um, you know, hermesis, which helps our body create these lo- longevity genes. So a mimetic would be some of the things we've already talked about. Uh, and some of them are ancient, as you say. So whether it's coal therapies, that sort of shocked the body, the body thinks it's in danger and it releases, you know, activates these pathways, these cellular stress response pathways. Uh, the same thing can be done. And can I just ask you, would sure. that be like a cold plunge or a mm-hmm. cold shower? Are there any yeah. particular protocols that, that you use in your own life or any kind of dosage or temperature tips or anything that you would be able to share with us? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, personally, I don't love the cold. Me so, neither. But I've so, trained myself. Yes, and that's and you're training your mind as yeah, well. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I travel quite a bit. So, you know, I would say just turning the shower to as cold as it gets in that whatever hotel room I'm in is probably as cold as it really gets for me. Uh and uh and but that's just one way. You know, there's different ways to activate. That is one way. I used to uh do cryo because I prefer dry cold to wet cold. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I'm not exercising my mental adversity mm-hmm. and medic opportunities if I'm choosing cold, I'm dry over, over wet. But that's something you can do it for, you know, say two, three minutes. Some people sit much longer, of course. I, I wouldn't say longer is necessarily better. Uh, being able to sit in it for, for five minutes is great. Um, being able to sit in it, it and for two minutes, it's great. Everybody's body is different. So it's really about how your body responds to those type of stresses. You're still activating. You don't need to worry about what it takes for Tom to activate his longevity pathways. You just kind of need to worry about your own, you know? So that's one way. Of course, there's heat stress. We talked about that. We talked about um, hypoxia, holding your breath. Uh, that's another way. And then, of course, you know, there's there's molecules. You know, there's... there's um, Anytime we can activate NAD, you know, there are polyphenols like resveratrol. There's different molecules that we can also uh, ingest. And that also, they also activate our sirtuins. You know, they activate some of these different pathways. Uh, they can inhibit mTOR. Uh, they can activate AMPK. So these are all the different pathways and adversity mimetics or things that we can do lifestyle-wise. Um, things that we can eat, things that we can take supplementarily that activate those pathways. You just mentioned a couple of different pathways that not everyone is going to understand in the audience here. So maybe you start with AMPK because I think that one has been highly associated with longevity. So this is AMP kinase. Yeah. Um, what, what is that enzyme or that pathway? And what are some of the processes that it activates? Yeah, so it's a protein kinase, as you say. And um, and it helps with, um, you know, cellular repair, kind of similar to sirtuins, you know. It, it basically helps us with um, what we call the cellular stress response pathway 
and it responds to cellular stress, helps us with that repair, helps us with inflammation um, and decreased inflammation, of course. And so we want to do things um, or take things that can help activate that. And uh, some polyphenols are, are one of the things. Uh, resveratrol is a polyphenol that's very, very uh, mainstream at this point. And so whether you get it from uh, plants, you know, vegetables and, and fruits, or you take it supplementally because the dosage and the concentration ideally would need to be a bit higher. Um, so as opposed to drinking 300 glasses of red yeah, wine. I was going to say, <laughs> a lot of people are using this as an excuse to to join a wine club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I yeah. read you need to, you know, drink 1,500 glasses a night or something. Yeah, it's so uh, much. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. So you would, in the case of resveratrol, you would suggest probably supplementing. Yeah, so you use it supplementally. Um, and then you're just aware that resveratrol is a polyphenol that's found in a certain colored plants and and have it in your diet. So anytime you can take it in through a whole food diet, uh, and I'm plant-based, so I'm I'm a big fan, obviously, of a plant-based diet. You don't have to be, but at least have it rich in your diet and then so take like it supplementally. Dark, purpley, grape yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Blackberries I mean, and raspberries and stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've I've always said eat the rainbow. Yeah. And it sounded so cliche, right. you know. Uh, but there's real science there, behind there it. There really is, you know. I, I have a, I've, been, I've had a, a private practice for. I'm going to reveal my age here, but I've had a private practice for about 20 years. Maybe it's 21 now. So you started when um, you were five. <laughs> I love you. I'm bringing more presents. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, uh, and so, and so, you know, I have this method called culinary alchemy, uh, which I sort of, you know put together in my own what on my own healing journey and and a big a core part of that is really eating all the colors eating all the colors of the rainbow bright colored deep colored uh foods which you're going to find in a whole plant food form and i've always said you know it's because you get all the vitamins and the and the minerals and the nutrients and you have these uh you know phyto phytochemicals and polyphenols and people didn't really didn't really understand what I meant all those years, and now they're kind of understanding it because of you know xenohormesis. Uh, all right, so we got to stop there because with xenohormesis, because I find this whole concept to be so incredibly fascinating, um, and I, I was first introduced to the concept of like eating quote unquote stressed plants mm -hmm. through Jeffrey Bland, who's mm, a yes. functional medicine doctor of some I love Dr. Bland. repute. Yeah. And um, he stumbled across a, a, a particular kind of, I think it's actually seed mm. um, called Himalayan tartary buckwheat, which he calls the most stressed plant ever <laughs> or something. Um, and Introduced me to this concept of xenohormesis or xenohormetics. So unpack that for a minute. What what is xenohormetics? So we talked about hermesis. I know that's this phenomenon, this process in the body where we respond uh, when we're under perceived adversity, uh, and we activate these longevity pathways again, these cellular response, stress response pathways in our body. So the same thing happens to all living things. It's not just us. It happens with animals. It happens with plants. So xenohermesis is sort of the same process, that same phenomenon that's happening in plants when they are under adversity. 
So whether or not you are shading sunlight from them, they're not getting enough water, they're in an environment where there are predators, animals that consume those plants, they act, they have the same type of cellular stress response pathways and they produce these molecules and they have their sort of uh, longevity pathways. And so effectively, they have these molecules that get that are within them when they're under stress. And when we consume them, we get the benefits. So that's that's essentially what it is in a nut, um, in a nutshell. And uh, and yes, that that buckwheat is one. Um, I'm a huge fan of matcha. Matcha is also uh, a plant that just the process of growing and cultivating those green tea leaves, they they purposely shield it from the sun for a period of time. They take it out of the shade. They put it back in the sun. And that's why matcha, the, matcha the, which is green tea, but it's sort of in a powdered form. Um, and those are catechins in Yeah, green they're tea? so high in that. And they have high auric levels. They're high in antioxidants. It's because the, the plants, those green tea leaves, they had to work so hard to survive long enough for us to consume them. That's right. I mean, I, I just think that whole idea is fascinating, that these plants have ancient pathways that are resilience pathways that have evolved over tens of thousands of years. Yeah. And the the attributes of those can be actually transferred to human beings. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've, I've read that the, you know, vintners or um, people who make wine, mm -hmm. that's what they call them, vintners maybe, they purposefully stress their grapes. Just how you talked about matcha. And I believe the most stressed grape is the Pinot Noir Grape. Yeah. So if you want your the most resveratrol that you can get through actually drinking wine, I believe Pinot Noir is the most stressed stressed grape um, piece of trivia there. Um, but just the, the overall concept, I think, is is fascinating. And then you know, of course, we can apply that to ourselves. This whole notion of you stress or good stress. Yeah. You know what are you know obviously the famous Nietzsche quote: "What doesn't kill me." makes me stronger right yeah. you know that's obviously got to be taken you know thoughtfully because you know too cold mm -hmm. and you get a hypothermia and you could die right and hyperthermia too so it's really finding that area where you can self-impose deliberate stress mm -hmm. to then turn on these pathways that confer health and longevity. It's amazing. Absolutely. And I think what's really key to remember, especially for the overachievers out there, <laughs> that it's about low to moderate levels yes. of this type of good stress, you know, this perceived adversity. It's not about, you know, high, high levels of intense stress. It's actually low to moderate levels. And we and you don't want it to be chronic, you know, which is why it's great to go cold plunge once a day, you know, and you can do it every day, um, but you're not plunging for seven hours a day, you know, every single day. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there's a doctor, she's Danish or Dutch, I should get that straight, but her name is Susanna Soberg. Mm. She does a lot of um, research on cold therapy. Um, and uh, it, it seems to be like highly subjective. Like you can actually get the benefits from cold water even up to like 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. so, and that's not that cold. No. But for some people, it does feel very cold. 
And maybe that's where you start, where it's just like 10 seconds under the shower of 60 yeah. degrees and you ease your way in. And there's a, obviously, as you already referred to quite eloquently, there's a, um, a psychological wow. component to that because you build your mental resilience to mm -hmm. kind of like get over that place of like, I can't do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you move to that next place. Yeah. But obviously there's so many other knock-on um, physiological impacts. I mean, I was reading, I think one of her papers where, you know, deliberate cold therapy, if done, you know, four times a week or something, mm -hmm. um, upregulates the release of dopamine like over time. Oh, yes. Not even just in the moment. Yeah, it's an overtime thing. It's amazing. Well, and, you know, and, and thank you for, for bringing that up. I wanted to also add to, you know, it's, it's hard to give someone uh, sort of the recipe for their success without knowing everything about their body. Yeah. And I would really encourage everyone, anyone listening is like, you really can take sovereignty of yourself by knowing yourself because no one's going to know yourself. No one's going to know you as well as you know yourself, um, even if you're bringing that data to a practitioner. So someone who weighs 100 pounds and has 14% body fat is going to get their temp body temperature is likely going to drop much faster than someone who is 6'5 and 212 pounds. Um, and then the amount of, you know, the, the, the fat to muscle ratio, just all of that is somewhat relevant to what a person's practice is. So I, I just sort of like encourage people to keep that in mind as well, because again, you know, what Tom or George or Mary is doing in the cold bath may not be what you need to do because their body type may be different. Uh, and that's just a good reminder. And that, and that's just for cold therapy. Of course, it applies to everything. Um, same with hypoxia, you know, the same with uh, just every other type of, um, you know, adversity type of practice. Yeah. I think that's so important that this notion of bio-individuality. Yeah. I mean, as a culture, we tend to kind of treat symptoms with big swaths, like everyone take a statin, yeah. everyone take an SSRI, <laughs> et cetera. And um, of course, that doesn't take into account the personal story or whether that's a psychological or physiological story of that individual and yeah like you say someone who's 100 pounds is going to have like a core body temperature is going to be highly much more highly influenceable through external inputs so, mm -hmm. so we talked a lot about kind of physical good stress there's another element of it's funny it's not really like stress exactly but what I think it is, it's more realigning ourselves with our adaptive mechanisms. Mm -hmm. That's really what these things are. Yes. It, it, we, we kind of now categorize them as adversity, mimetics, et cetera. But I was like reading um, yesterday, I believe, um, as a, the Surgeon General, uh, Vivek Murthy. Mm -hmm. um, he was the Surgeon General for Obama. I think he is again for Biden. I can't remember. But he became sort of an expert on loneliness mm -hmm. and um he was also self-admittedly very lonely and um i think he said that loneliness was the biggest epidemic and there was a study out of byu that showed that loneliness has the same impact on the development of chronic disease as smoking 15 cigarettes a day <laughs> so to play this out 
I think there is also, you know, we go to the gym and like lift weights for hypertrophy or do high intensity training as an adversity mimetic. But what about social fitness? Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, thank you. It's definitely something, you know, we're talking about some of the um, most significant cofactors when it comes to, uh, you know, longevity as in extension of health. Uh, there's alcohol, there's smoking, uh, there, there is whether or not you have movement and there is community. Uh, mm. it's, it's such, and, and I'm so glad you brought it up because we don't talk about it enough. Uh, there's, there's still some sense of shame, I think, uh, for people to admit that they might be lonely, um, or need a hug. Uh, or they're, they might be going through a challenging time that they can't even define. And I think that's one of the, one of the, one of the reasons why people don't necessarily speak out more because maybe they don't even know or understand why they're feeling that way. And community, that sense of community connection, human connection, um, that's equally important to nutrition, to movement, to exercise, to these adversity um, therapies and techniques and lifestyle choices that we make. Um, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm sort of an energy person. Uh, so that's something that I believe that community and that it's really about human connection. It's really about being in a place where you feel another's, another person, another soul's energy and feeling, um, resonant to that. So whether that's in a relationship, um, in a partnership or um, with your own family or with chosen family or just in a community of other people, one or many, it can be in person or online. Uh, there are these, it's a connection. It's like a frequency. Uh, and being able to be in resonance with whether it's one or many uh, is supportive and, and healthy. Uh, not just for our body, but also for our mind. I read an astounding statistic that said, irrespective of whether you're single or not, 58% mm -hmm. of Americans eat every meal alone. Mm -hmm. Oh. Is this post COVID or yeah. pre COVID? This is like now. Yeah. I mean, relatively recent. I think it was twenty twenty two. It's um this the loneliness project. I'm I'm not sure exactly where I, I got the source. But it was like a step how heartbreaking. Yeah, it's and and you know, when you and there's a difference between solitude and loneliness, so we could pull that apart. But if when you're lonely, you have you're more you more readily perceive threat. Yeah. And so, of course, that like thrusts us into our sympathetic nervous system, chronic cortisol secretion, raised blood sugar level, all the things, you know, right? So decreases the immune system, ruins the gut, all the downstream impacts of, of essentially stress. Um, and I've been actually, maybe you can help me think this through because I was trying to think of like an adversity mimetic for social fit fitness, like yeah. essentially something that you make yourself do that makes you feel somewhat uncomfortable, but pushes you into 
a, a place of connection yeah. with other people. I suppose that could be philanthropy or charity or, you know, going and, you know, working and volunteering. But I wonder if there's anything else that comes to mind. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. And interestingly, it came up, I can't remember what event I was at, uh, something sort of similar. It was about, it was about loneliness. It was about not having friends in a new place and how to build. And, you know, social media has its pros and cons, of course, but the biggest pro and like, I think why, how it all started, it was the ability to connect with others in an unseen way at first, if you're shy, you know, mm. just to even go and see what are people talking about who have the same interests that I do. And it may sound silly, but like joining a space, you know, whether it's a group, I don't even know if the chat room still exists, maybe I'm dating myself again, but you know, a group uh, online is, it would be helpful if you're someone that it might be a little bit more introverted. Um, but I would say that is an an excellent community sort of aversity but it also really, again, um, stretches and challenges your mind in a positive way. If you were to, to really challenge yourself to go, to go eat by yourself. Uh, and this was one of my greatest fears for a long, long time. It was crazy. I, I like, I couldn't, I, I didn't want to be in a public place and sit at a table alone and eat by myself. Mm. Um, and now I, I can't even remember what that feeling is like. It's so long ago, but I would, I would rather like not eat, you know, and this now is you're for, like, please give me a little solitude. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just like, I need to, I just need 10 minutes to myself. Yeah. Um, but just challenging yourself in that way, depending on what is your comfort zone, just going outside of your comfort zone a little bit. So I don't know if people know this, but, um, I'm actually kind of an introvert you know I, I I call myself an ambivert where I can go out and do you know and I do it all the time uh particularly for work and I'm out in the public and can be in small groups or massive groups and at the same time if you were to ask me what my preference is I would say you know be at home chill cup of tea with your dog with my dog <laughs> um, and, and that, and I'm happy and that's where I nourish and reset. And I definitely need that, especially when I'm out in the public. So what was interesting was, uh, several years ago, I, uh, I had some friends who had gone to date with destiny and it's an event uh, that's put on by Tony Robbins and he does it once a year in December. And I had several friends, some of my best friends, my best friends now actually. And they had gone and, and everyone that had gone to that had said they had the most life-changing experience and they described it and, you know, helped their marriage. And, and I thought, what is this? This, this sounds, okay, I want to do this, but it only happens once a year in December. So in March, Tony Robbins had an event here in, L in LA called the UPW, Unleashed the Power Within. And I'd never gone to anything. I, I, you know, at that time, and Tony and Sage, they're they're dear friends. Now they're, you know, they're they we're chosen family. Like they are my mentors, teachers, and just dear friends. At the time, Tony Robbins was just a name, and it sounded a little bit, you know, I don't know. It just it, exactly right. So yeah, it just sounded a little bit like, oh, uh, okay, yeah. Whatever. And and I thought, okay, but. 
if I can't go to that and I, and everyone says you need to go to this event first before you go to that one so you have some basics I said okay I'm gonna go and I heard it was thousands of people and I, and I sort of panicked and then the number got bigger so it was 4,000 people then it was no no it's like 8,000 someone else says no it's 10 and then I come to find out it's actually 12 or 14,000 people in one room so I've never gone to anything where there's that many people in one room except for like a football game, you know, or a hockey game, or maybe a concert, West, which is, maybe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're moving around, you know, it's, it's different, yeah. not in like one room. Yeah. So I was really hesitant to go, even my Reiki master, my Reiki teacher said, don't go to that, are you crazy? Like too many energies, you're very sensitive, I'm an empath, and I, and I thought, and she said, I would never go to that, don't, don't go to that. And I thought, okay, but I know what my mission is. I know what my path is. And I know that one day I'm going to need to be able to hold space and be in a room with thousands of people and be okay. Cause I wasn't okay. You know, it was always like I had to psych myself up and, you know, I had to have all these check boxes checked off before I could do it. So I made myself go. And it was actually 15,000 people for an introvert that extra thousand matters. Um, <laughs> and, and I went and I, and it was so uncomfortable. There was one of the, he does something called the Dickens process. And I ended up doing Reiki on myself, just bubbling myself the entire time rather than doing whatever he said, because it was a lot for me energetically. And now I would say that that was one of the, that was one of the moments in my life where I did the best thing I could have done for myself because it exercised a muscle I didn't know that I had that I absolutely needed. And it's transformed me. And of course, over time, because I constantly put myself in that environment that I did it and I didn't die. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, public speaking, right? Like you, you kind of think you're going to die up to the point where you're done and you didn't die. So I think that we can all do that when it comes to community it's so hard and most of us want to be rescued when we're in a state of loneliness um or sadness and what i said uh, earlier about sort of you know taking taking that sovereign control back of yourself it's not just your physical body and your biology but you know this is your sovereign self and we sometimes forget uh, we've lost a reverence for who we actually are. We are the most incredible, the most complex, the most amazing machines, beings, entities. People are still discovering what's inside of us. You know, scientists, and I love them, uh, they're awarded for their discoveries of something that exists in us already and has mm. that we just haven't discovered, named, and labeled. But we exist with that. So sometimes it's just about reminding ourselves how powerful we really are and kind of using that power to go outside of our comfort zone and say, I'm just going to do one thing that makes me really uncomfortable. I'm going to go to the mm. gym by myself. Mm. I'm going to go work out when there's a lot of people as opposed to less people because I might meet one person. Or I'm going to introduce myself to the person in line when I'm getting tea or coffee and just strike up a random conversation, or I'm going to talk to the person sitting next to me in the plane instead of putting on my sunglasses and hoping nobody talks to me. Mm. 
when those small, small micro moments yes. can transform into lifelong friendships. And at the same time, as you say, you're building. So every time you do it, you build that muscle. And over time, it's like that levels of increased dopamine, you know, they sustain. Yeah. So good, Serena. Because, you know, we, health is not a thing. It's a, it's a process, right? That exists across a spectrum and you can apply psychological health, different kinds of physiological health, et cetera. And, you know, loneliness can be progressive. So you can be moving sort of a negative direction on that spectrum because the more lonely you are, the more you question yourself, you must, well, I must be lonely because I'm not worthy. Yeah. And then that makes you less likely to reach out and to make those connections. And that can be a downward, downward cascade. But like you say, just even the smallest things can actually push you the other direction on that spectrum. And you start to like gain that level of confidence. I mean, I found, you know, for me, I know for you and for a lot of people that are listening and watching is that we live in this kind of persuasion economy and the attention economy, everyone's vying for our conscious attention at every possible moment, pings and dings and slacks and emails and billboards and marketers and friends and family, et cetera. And uh, it is so easy to be distracted. And I find that one practice or exercise that we can do to increase the depth of our social connection is to give people the gift of our presence, of our undivided attention. Just like right here, right now, like I'm with you 100%, listening to every single thing that you say, feeling your energy, um, your body language. I mean, we're in a podcast, so we sort of have to do that, but we're doing a dance. But that should be your MO when you're talking to anyone, to your family member or even a stranger. If you can just be all there with that person and not be thinking about what's next or feeling your phone buzz in your pocket. You know, there's a there's another wonderful paper that I read recently by it's killing Matt Killingsworth and Dan Gilbert, maybe. I don't know. They're happiness experts essentially. And um, the paper's titled a wandering mind is an unhappy mind, ah. which is like, whoa. Wow, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, essentially being consistently distracted sort of and focused on, you know, the traumas of our past and projecting them into the future all of the time, et cetera, you know, really keeps us from feeling that sense of connection and happiness through connection. I mean, it's one of the reasons I actually love doing this right now because I can't check anything or anything. No, thank you so much for saying that. And it's such a powerful reminder. Uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about the generous present moment. Mm. You know, and, and again, it's just, what you said, we forget. It's, there's like, there's infinite possibility in the present moment yeah. uh, and the power of that connection. I mean, really at the end of the day, as, as humans, that's really what we, that's what we seek. You know, that's what we need is that connection. Um, and that's why a complete stranger just kind of giving you a smile for no reason, uh, you know, across a room mm -hmm. 
not wanting anything from you, not needing anything from you, just simply acknowledging you and then and giving you that eye contact, that connection is that fuels us. So mm. thank you for that reminder. It's so powerful and it transcends everything. You know, it's you, that's what we can communicate without words with people who are from other countries, who speak only other languages. What we're actually seeking is a way to connect and communicate. And so just being present with someone um, does that. So, Yeah, and we have no choice. I mean, we are confined to the ever now. It's never been any other time except now. <laughs> Even every experience of the past is happening in this everlasting now. Um, so in a way, the present creates the past and the past doesn't create the present. You're doing so many amazing things in the world. I want to just um, take some time to hover over your work because mm -hmm. it's multifarious. So I know that you have a new project, relatively new, with um, the Australian biologist, Harvard-based David Sinclair. Yeah, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but uh, oh I, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, we we have a we have a company we co-founded. It's called Fully Aligned Co. Uh, and we, you know, it's, it's very education focused through content, uh, and media. So whether that's through books, podcasts, um, speaking, just the content that we put out there, uh, different, different forms and platforms of media and content distribution. That's, that's a big vertical in it. Um, because as I said, education you know, I, I truly believe is where is sort of the foundation for everyone. Uh, and then of course, you know, we've got, we've got some services and some, we advise uh, individuals and, and companies sort of across the globe uh, and, and products, you know, so we're working on different types of products and, and that's, that's our, that's our company. Um, it's, we've been traveling now for several months, just literally back to back to back, city to city. Yeah, get, expand on that a little bit more because I know that you've gone to Abu Dhabi at least once, maybe a couple of times. I think you're headed back. You know, we tend to associate longevity and some of these advancements in medical science and innovation very much like with Silicon Valley and California mm. and then some obviously some university labs like David's lab at Harvard or Andrew Huberman's lab in Stanford, et cetera. But this is a this is a global deal, right? I mean, so what's happening when you go um, to some of these far flung places? Yeah, you know, it's a, uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be to be completely honest with you, I I had no idea um, that the interest in what we do, you know, in the extension of life in a healthy way, in longevity, in reprogramming, in age reversal was it's literally a global um it's a global interest and people are excited everywhere so from and we're in india and it's just this is what everyone is hungry for in terms of information you know people just want to learn um they want to know what's next and they want to know what they can do right now which is a lot of what we talked about today um you know how to eat what to do how to live 
And that's from, you know, obviously China, they've had, we know they've, they've been working on so many scientists that are work, working on um, clinicals and projects um, that are about longevity, obviously Yamanaka's in Kyoto in Japan. So, you know, we, it just, it's just until you're there, you just don't realize that they are just as excited about it as we are. Uh, and some of these countries have have started projects and um, you know organizations, institutions, funds to really support the continued research uh, and education around longevity, you know, aging, uh, regenerative biology, and medicine. And so, in the UAE is one of the countries. India, of course. Um, we just have colleagues that are sort of all over the planet and, um, and all of course interested in the same things. And so, and in the, in the UK as well, I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere and they really, people are just as excited and it, it seems to have been more explosive in the past, um, maybe six months or so, six months, six to eight, I don't know, a year. Um, but it's, it's here, it's now. And I think the best part of that awareness is is the realization that people of all ages, so we've got kids who are like 12, you know, and, and 14 who are excited about being a scientist, you know, or a doctor or a practitioner or a nutritionist that that does this and helps people all the way to people who are in their 80s and 90s that are ready to live another 30, 40 years. Um, What's so exciting is that people are just so hungry to learn and that they are aware that they can do something today that will effectively change their life over time. So as long as they keep doing it. Yeah. Um, well, my daughter's 15. She's going to neuroscience camp this summer oh, at Columbia amazing. University. She knows what she wants to do. So it's very, uh, um, she's very excited about it. But like, you know, as you say, a lot of these diseases of aging that we call them are progressive. So they don't just show up one day. In fact, a disease, again, is not a thing. It's not a product. It's a process. And you can be moving kind of towards it or away from it. But, you know, the symptoms don't necessarily flare up in, in stark relief when you're 25 years old. But you might be setting yourself up at that juncture for insulin resistance or something like that. And that can start this um, this kind of progressive path towards, you know, high glucose levels that then can turn into inflammation that can turn into greater excessive adiposity, et cetera, all these things that then all of a sudden you're 45 or 50 or 60 and something bad happens or you get a diagnosis, but that's been going on, you know, for some time. Um, so it's really never too early to think about it. So that's no, what I tell yeah. my kids. They're yeah. like, dad, you know, I don't have to worry about this for some time. I'm like, no, no. I mean, they're pretty young, but still, you know, like for people that are 25 or 30 or 35, what they're doing now is, you know, they're, again, they're on the spectrum and they're either moving towards wholeness, which is the process of healing yeah. or moving towards disease, the process of ailing. So they can be, like you say, make those decisions. And it is amazing how quickly nature, when unimpeded, tries to heal itself. Like mm -hmm. I told you before we started recording that I was pre-diabetic mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I started to wear a CGM. And I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, but, you know, within two to three months, I had taken my fasting glucose levels from 125 milligrams per deciliter to 85. Yeah. Like, 
that it's was, amazing what you can do. Yeah. Yep. And my whole energy levels went up. I started sleeping well, all these things. And it wasn't really, didn't really require that much sacrifice in the end. It was just a little bit of knowledge and application. Yeah. And you didn't have to have a surgery. You know, you didn't have to do any of that. I mean, we believe that aging is actually a disease, you know, and it's sort of the root for a lot of these chronic uh, degenerative diseases and issues that people come, that people have towards a later stage in life. And as you see, all these things are preventable. I mean, I've had clients from, you know, who've had cancer uh, that we were able to bring into a place of remission without having to do um, more allopathic uh, treatments. Uh, And not to say that there isn't a place for them. Of course there is. But there are so many options, and that's for something that's considered terminal. Um, and we can still we can still apply lifestyle, diet, supplements. You know, uh, there's so many tools that we we literally have in our pockets in front of us that we just have to apply. So you know, knowledge is powerful. Knowing your data is powerful. I always talk about how you you want to take measurement, do tests, know what's going on inside your body. And it's really the execution application of what to do with that knowledge that's the most powerful tool. So you can know that it's, you know, that you have diabetes or you're pre-diabetic, but it's what you do with that, you know, and the fact that you applied the knowledge and what you needed to do and now you're, you're healthy and vibrant and your numbers are in the right place. And, uh, and so I think that's really, that's sort of the biggest reminder and that we can, again, like we just sort of take sovereignty of our bodies, um, and just help it out. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up supplementation because, um, you brought me the most marvelous gift pack, <laughs> um, which I'm very, very grateful for. And I, I will apply it assiduously. Um, but you have a, a, a supplement line. I mean, I'm not sure that's the way that you frame it exactly, but, um, I will, you know, there's a lot of nutrient deficiency that exists out there. And I wonder if there was deficiencies kind of at large in society that informed what you wanted to create and make, or were you making specifically for longevity? And, you know, what are some of those key uh, supplements that you would recommend um, around longevity? Uh well, you know, I've always kind of said longevity. I feel like it's sort of the the product of living well, you know, sort of from the start and taking care of yourself. And and the supplements, and thank you for asking about them, the supplements, uh, they're just tools. You know, they're tools. I, I, I have other tools. You know, I have candles and sprays and crystals, and they're all sort of tools for, for different uh, parts of you that make up the whole of you. So for the supplements, we've got um, supplements that sort of address your gut health, um, your adrenal health, uh, to help balance your stress and help with your sleep. So I'd say the most popular few are the ones that really support your energy and your adrenals. Um, Energize and metabolize, I mentioned to you earlier. Yeah, I think we have yeah, it's great. Yeah, we have it right here, just handy. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I mean, beautiful. I really love this. And I one. love the glass jar. Thank, Thank you. you for doing that. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's got to be glass and it's got to be tinted, um, and there's a reason for all parts of the package and um, why we packaged it this way, why we chose that the amber glass. Um, 
And it's uh, it's just something that really helps support your body. And most of us are kind of on the go all the time. And so it also helps with uh, healthy blood glucose levels and, and insulin and blood sugar. Uh, and then, you know, when you take that with adren- anyone over anyone over 30 or 40, you know, taking it with love your adrenals. And we name them that way because it's really about loving yourself. So, you know, we have love your adrenals, love my brain, you know, love my gut. Um, it's part of the brand, but it's also part of what you're doing when you're using tools that nourish yourself. Um, and it's also why we created the app as well. It's the same reason. It's just here are tools, here are things that you can do to help take care of you uh, and to help you kind of be your best self, which leads you to a long, healthy life. Yeah. Yeah. The adrenal dysfunction for me was key. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, just interviewed a woman named Isabella Wentz. Um, she uh, has a new book very focused on adrenal health. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things there was, obviously, we associate high cortisol levels with a lot of stress. So, you know, something stressful happens, we perceive threat. It's generally not on the Serengeti anymore. It's yeah. generally on the in Facebook or something. And then, you know, there's this HPA axis, which is kind yes. of a primary endocrine axis that has sort of a domino effect and keeps sending signals down to these little glands here, but um, your kidneys, it's are these adrenals that generally make these um, steroid hormones like cortisol. And we generally like associate chronic high cortisol with a lot of stress. But one thing that I've l- I learned recently is that there, over time, there's actually an inverse curve with cortisol. So if you're stressed for a while, experiencing chronic stress, your cortisol level is going to go up and you're going to feel, you know, that like hypermanic-y kind of cortisol feeling. But over time, chronic stress will actually lead to this inverse curve where your adrenals actually stop producing properly and you'll get chronically low cortisol levels and that can you know feed this feeling of fatigue and brain fog because it's those steroid hormones that are responsible for a certain amount of alertness and that's why you get a normal curve up in the morning of cortisol and that's totally normal and you want that um so i thought it was really fascinating so i'm so glad that you have a product that addresses this because i think is a, a problem that's rampant yeah and a lot of doctors don't really diagnose it so yeah it's interesting because there has been you know i would say there's been some criticism you know about even using the term adrenal fatigue right. or um even using adaptogens to sort of help our bodies adapt to a stressful environment inside of ourselves to balance out our adrenals and um our nervous system and I think it's so important, you know, we actually launched those particular products and Love My Calm, something also helps a lot with stress right before the holidays, because that just seems to be a time of the year that um, is everyone's stress levels go up a little bit. Uh, and anything that we can do, and I see we a lot because I, it's not just me, you know, it's my whole team. Uh, anything that we can do to help provide tools to help support someone on their journey is something that we, you know, that's part of our mission. And so, yes, anything that you can do to help support your adrenals, um, your body stress response, your nervous system, um, it is a whole system benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we're in Hollywood. Sometimes they say, you know, 
people are a triple threat. You know, they're a singer, a dancer, and an actor. Uh, you're like a, you know, quintuple threat or something <laughs> like that. You're you're addressing so many Thank different you. areas. I mean, you're a Reiki master. Um, you're a nutritionist. You're a chef. We didn't even talk about that. That's a you know celebrated chef. Um, you've become an absolutely brilliant longevity expert. You obviously have um, uh, a line of supplements, but so many other products, and it, and you you do it all Liz, with such care and intentionality and absolutely beautiful branding. Like the branding is like okay, yeah, it's marketing and branding, but it's actually a reflection of how thoughtful and intentional that you are because it's always beautiful you always want to touch it and hold it and smell it <laughs> you always just do an absolutely superlative job with everything that you do so i'm uh, i'm very grateful to call you a friend and to be a, in receipt of your knowledge and wisdom well there's more coming there, <laughs> i just realized like oh i think he's gotten a candle or a spray they're pretty magical so i'll make sure uh we send some up here too Okay, so where can people find uh, your work and keep abreast of everything that you're doing? Uh, yes, uh, at serenaloves.com. That's our website. And then on social, um, Instagram is our biggest platform. It's Chef Serena Poon. And that's uh, probably that kind of, both those places take you everywhere. Yeah, you do such a great job on, on your socials as well, too. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. That's, you know, that's also my team. I give them credit. They're, you know, heart and soul. Yeah, well, you're using it for true educational purposes, and you thankfully like stay away from the hyperbole and the sensationalism, which is so easy to do on social. So, um, so thank you for that, and well done. And hopefully, we can come back and talk about consciousness. Yes, yes, I would love that. All right, but thank you so much. <laughs> All right, to be continued. Thank you, Serena. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Serena Poon. So here are a few takeaways from our discussion. Number one, adversity mimetics or deliberate self-imposed short-term stress, such as caloric restriction, intermittent fasting, exercise, heat, and cold therapy can activate ancient human longevity pathways. Number two, eating stressed plants or xenohormetans provide essential nutrients polyphenols, and antioxidants. And community and social connections are essential for overall health and longevity. Hence, we need a social fitness regimen, just like we need a physical fitness regime. Okay, well, to keep abreast of all of Serena's work, go to serenaloves.com or follow her on Instagram, as I do, at Chef Serena Poon. And if you enjoy this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you're a regular listener, well, you probably have a sense for how much effort we put into this show's creation, and we really do our best to keep ads to a minimum. So if you're looking for a way to support our efforts here, the best way to do so is to subscribe to Commune. It'll access more than 130 courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders, and you can check it out for free. For 14 days, no strings attached at onecommune.com slash trial.
Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly at any time at jeffk at onecommune.com. Lastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible, including Jacob Laub, Megan Stone, Leda Maliga, Violet Augustine, Savannah Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.